Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the second part of the chat with Daniel from Chafee Bros. I think you already know what we're talking about. Grenache, Siddhar, Mataro, Barossa Valley, Eden Valley. So without further ado, I'm going to take you straight over to that chat now. Enjoy. Right. Do you think we should move on to some of the other wines yes. and start talking about Grenache, Syrah and Mulvetra? The, or, well, so actually, Absolutely. I should say Mataro. Mataro. Mataro, okay, mate. Oh, that was awful. Did you? That was me trying to put on an Australian accent and it did not work at all. Right. Nah, nailed it. Nailed no. it, Yanina. Oh, Mataro. Wait, M- Mataro. Mataro. Yeah, no. that's what we have to, if we go to visit Mataro. the growers, we don't, we, we'll confuse them if we say Mavedra. They work, they, um, oh, yeah, me, Mataro. Do you know why it's called Mataro? I found out a few years ago. Do you know why it's called Mataro in Australia instead of Movetra or in fact Monastery? I don't know, do you know why, why, but it comes from Spain as well, doesn't it? Yes. Well, the story, and a lot of people, they quite like this one. It's a fun fact. Um, it was, oh God, is it John or James Busby? I think it's James. James, Bus- yeah. There we go, thank you. James Busby, who is Scot- originally Scottish, he was not a wine guy. He didn't know anything about wine, but he seemed to be the only guy that could actually get the vines from France and Spain across to Australia without them dying. And yes. so he went into Spain and he went to Catalonia. And within Catalonia, there is a town called Mataro. And the Monastrel, as they would say in Spain, or the Mulvetra, if we're talking French, was growing yeah. in that town and they called it Mataro. So, of course, they gave him the vines and they said this is Mataro and he went okay cool and he brought it to Australia and he's like here you go I present Mataro there you go it's it's um another legacy of the 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 time before Google and Mm -hmm. that's the the reason we've got a um a region called uh and spelt B-A-R-O-S-S-A Barossa is because someone made a mistake it should have been it was named after the region in Spain um coincidentally um the battlefield that Colonel Light fought in, which was um, in Cadiz, no? Playa, yeah, Playa de la Barosa out, outside Cadiz, which mm-hmm. is spelt with two R's and one S. So, and they ma- they no, made a mistake. No spell check, yeah. <laughs> oh, love stories like that. That's absolutely brilliant. Well, we will get on to that battle, won't we? On the second wine, absolutely. Should I say the third wine, right? So, yeah, this is um, our winery is definitely all about Riesling, Grenache, and Shiraz, and mm-hmm. there are some exceptions there. You know, obviously, there's a Riesling crossbreed and a few asterisks to make exceptions about, but <laughs> almost, almost. Um, a third of our wines tie back in some way to Grenache, almost a third mm-hmm. tie back to Riesling and um, the other third Shiraz. So um, our rosé is um, probably the the reason we're still talking to you is because this is the wine that's probably sells the, the most here in Australia and pays the bills and lets us play with things like Kerner. Mm, okay, so now... Just so we can confirm to everyone, this is the, this is not your grandma's rosé. <laughs> That's right. 2020. And I'm going to give it a little sniff and a little taste. And I'm going to see if it is not my grandma's rosé. Let me see. It doesn't smell like my grandma's rosé. No. Again, it's it's obviously a little bit more delicate, as you'd expect from a rosé. Lots of strawberries and peaches I'm getting. Mm. 
This is um this is the one wine out of the three where you're tasting a different vintage than I am. Mm. I've got the the, the the reason for that is that you've, you've got one of the only remaining bottles of the 2020. Oh, I feel special then. <laughs> we have none in our um, oh, really? in my house or in our Adelaide office. I'd have to dig in the warehouse to find <laughs> the one box the one box left of 2020. But this is um we, we've got the 2021, and mm. it's actually got an exciting new label, which has got a much Ooh. bigger asterisk. Um, <laughs> but the but the wine is very similar, and it's still Grenache Mavedra, Um and it's it's always been that way. And there's one little secret ingredient. I don't know if, if you know that, but there's a little five or six percent of something that's non Grenache Mavedra in there. Oh no! Don't make me guess. Is it Kerner? <laughs> there is. There is about yes! one is and a half Kerner? percent of Kerner. Yeah. Yes. Do you know what? Funny enough, there's a real spiciness on this wine and texture, really weighty. And just for me, I don't know, it just felt like the, the actual body of it was similar to the Kerner that we just had. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a little, there's a couple of percent of um, Gewürztraminer as well. Mm-hmm. And um, a little tiny bit, 1% of Riesling. But okay. all that, we, that, Grenet, that Gewürztraminer, I like to call it Venus MSG, is just making everything that's there in that Grenache, Grenache Mavedra pop. Um, so the strawberries and cream were there before, but it just elevates them and lifts them, lifts them out of the glass. Because it's, Gewürz is so aromatic, it just it pulls things out of the glass along with it. Yeah. And I really like there's actually like this orange oil. It's that this textural, um, floral, spicy nature that is hugging the Grenache and Mourvedre quite clearly. It's a really fantastic rosé. Looks in the glass, very Provence style, just so people can get an idea of the colour. But the palette is so much more voluptuous. There's so much more going on. It's weighty. It's, again, I should use the word layered. It's got all that very, very different. And actually, personally, quite quite exciting in comparison to Provence Rosé. I love a Provence Rosé, absolutely. But that's yeah, me got, too. you know, that's that's the elegant side. But this, again, explosive. This is electric. This is an electric Rosé. I, I like that. And I think um, it probably reflects um, our, certainly um, Australian modern modern cuisine, um, mm-hmm. because it just has that hint of, hint of residual sweetness. And we do that yeah. in a, a few of our white wines and our rosés. Um, Number one, because they're unfined. So one of the ways we tackle um, a little bit of texture and, and tannin in the wine is just to leave a, just a tiny little kiss of residual sweetness um, mm-hmm. to offset offset any natural uh, phenolic uh, bitterness. Um, rather than strip it out using fining agents, we want that to build the body of the wine. So like you said, layers. And um, I think if you had something with a hint of spice, it will work with this wine even some bolder flavors, um, you know, in a non-spicy sense, the, this rosé is not going to be overwhelmed by the by the food as much as maybe a, a really super lean, dry um, Provence rosé. Do you know what this could handle? This could handle two of my favorite ingredients, yummy burrata, half melted and oozing all mm. over the plate with some naduya, you know, the oh, spicy yeah. Italian sausage, right? Yeah. Mm, with yeah, some uh, Sicilian green olives, those olives. Oh, yeah. oh. Delicious. Um, I think that Induya um, comment is spot on. I think mm. um, we've had this with some lovely um, spicy charcuterie of various sorts and Induya yeah. before. And it's, yeah, I like it. I think um, what we found too is um, because we sell a lot of our wine to restaurants is um, in the early days of rosé um, 
so my, my wife asked me to make this wine in 2014 and I was I was like oh really do I really want to make a rosé because back <laughs> back then in, in Australia rosé was not really a thing and some of the ones around were quite sweet they were quite dark in color mm-hmm. we'd yet to be um, overwhelmed by the Provence sort of phenomenon um, but Sydney Sydney first um, I think had a real affinity with Provence rosé and we suddenly saw lighter and lighter styles and we happened to happen to jag it I, I, um, in the first year because I wanted to navigate the fact that I wanted something dry my wife wanted a, um, something with a hint of sweetness and it, mm-hmm. it, I think it's a common compromise and um, that's that's where the wine came from oh. but the, the nice thing is I think back then if people wanted to put one wine on their restaurant wine list um, it's middle it's middle bare it's not it's not too dry it is. it's not too sweet it is it's very easy drinking it's soft it's, yeah, it's this one pretty. this one has a big problem with leaky bottles. We find it just oh. they go straight to the bottom. Well, you know, I can understand. So far, so good with my glass. I've still only had literally the sip, and I'm going to behave myself. Very good. <laughs> no leaky bottles here. It is, right it now, is before right lunchtime for you, isn't it? Uh, yes. So uh, I shall behave. Well, actually, now it now it's past twelve o'clock. Just a, Although yeah, my dad, there you go. my dad, it says it's midday somewhere in the world. I love my dad. It's it's eight thirty mm-hmm. Friday evening here, so you can get uh, cracking. You can have as many yeah. leaky bottles as you Just want. <laughs> unbu- un- 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 unbutton the shirt and not. Yeah. So, so let's talk about the GSM blend, the famous blend that they do in the Rhone Valley that has just become infamous in Barossa. You're doing that in this next wine that i'm going to crack open la resistance am i saying it right with it la resistance yeah, I, I think know. so i don't la don't resistance. ask an aussie how to say something in french um, i know mm. <laughs> la resistance. german labels french oh that yeah. sounds good la resistance okay so this is the battle for barossa yeah now we i mentioned briefly the yeah colonel light who founded the barossa mm-hmm. fought in this battle in 1811 and it was a napoleonic uh, battle i think part of the peninsula wars in spain and um the French were take, trying to take the city of Cadiz, um, a, a port city, and um, Colonel Light was an English infantryman, and um, he was helping the Spanish and Portuguese to fend off that attack. And they, the battlefield at Playa de la Barosa was where it was fought. So we found it interesting that our region, which has got nothing to do with Spain whatsoever, is named after this battlefield in Spain because he thought that when he came to the Barossa, it reminded him... Um, the, the terrain reminded him of the battlefield in Spain, which rhymes. Um, and um, he, um, he obviously had nothing to do with wine. So when James Busby brought the varietals out, the, the Barossa was determined to be suitable for Shiraz, for Cabernet, for Grenache, for Mavedra. But And these varietals grew incredibly well from, from day one, particularly the Shiraz and the Grenache and the Mavedra, which were originally used for port. Um, Mm -hmm. for fortified wine so it's only recently that i mean the two wines in front of us here are using vines that were planted for port and we're now making elegant rosé and um beautiful um light on its feet gsm which i mean i'm saying light on its feet but it's still a it's still a barossa wine through and through isn't it it's i should actually get trying it sorry i was i was being rather patient so it's a yeah gsm so we've got we've definitely got a lot in common with the rhone valley and um the Rhone region of France, and I think with our affinity for Shiraz or Syrah and Grenache, um, we're starting to become a lot more confident with the the blend. And we've got we've got all those Rhone varieties. We've got Grenache, Syrah, Mavedra, Cinso. Um, we've got um, Marsan, Roussan, and Viognier. Not that we play with those, but 
Yeah, so there's a lot of parallels to the Rhone wines of France. By the way, oh, I'm just going to say, I love it. Carry on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, this, this is the 2018. And again, we're on a journey with this wine. And um, this, wine's, this wine's a little bit more serious than um, some of the earlier vintages. And um, even, the, even the 2019, we, we, each year we're going a bit juicier and more vibrant. And this wine is, it's a warmer year. So it's got, some, it's got that brossa generosity, hasn't it? Oh, it's got this beautiful fruit that I would expect, but there's a real kind of uh, sweet baking spices and then merging with like a little bit of tobacco or some tea leaves as well. Like there's a real load of yeah. different flavors going on. I think that's the that's the M and it's often the way I think with there's the, this this wine has its um, Spanish cousin the the um, Tempranillo Grenache Graciano mm -hmm. and um, it's the third variety in both of these wines that seems to define the distinctiveness and um, I think some of those interesting tobacco leaf and those spice yeah. the Mavedra as we as we got a bit more confident and put more Mavedra into this blend mm -hmm. it's up to about 24 percent now um, oh, lies lies it says 23 on the label 23 that's yeah. my eyes I should put my my wife's <laughs> She's going to say I should put my glasses on. Twenty-three, probably it's probably twenty-three point five percent or something like that. Ah, when, we get to, when we get above, when we get above twenty percent with that Mavedra, it it just makes that wine have so much more depth. Um, Grenache, as we all know, is is playful and fun, and Shiraz can be a big bully and a big thumping bully in the middle. So we try to we try to meter out the um, the Shiraz intensity and and get some really nice complexity with the Mavedra in there, and it's. It's it's ten times the wine than if it it um, didn't have the Mavedra. Do you know what? I think though it's still quite light on its feet, like it has some weight behind it, but it's not. Instead of the other two that we had, which was creamy, even oily, there was a viscosity to it. This is just yes. dancing. This is really vibrant. This is where the fruit are just uh, really dancing around. You get all these cherries and raspberries, but then there, there's this, that's, you know, you said the Mulvetra, even like, a, oh, sorry, Mataro, Mataro. Mataro, um, yeah. By the way, you say Mulvetra on the label, you're going against the grain. Yeah, that's um, that was it. I guess that's to align with the French, the La Resistance name, you know. We're, uh, okay. And it's it's as you can see, it's donning the French colours there. So mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. our friend Leah Grant did two um, two fantastic paintings. One we just told her to think French colours and think Spanish colours, and and gave her the wines, and she came up with this fantastic ink blot um, painting. And um, yeah, it's it works I think it sums it's, up. it's yeah. electric and vibrant just like the wine so i give that a thumbs up um but i i, I digressed slightly i was going to say there's a meatiness as well to that wine which you often get with Morvetra, this meaty yeah. earthy nature so, and i think i think you're quite right there's i think this wine would be really good chilled down a little bit i've obviously just had it on the side and this is the first yes. time i've tried it i think again super chilled i'm assuming wait i don't taste any oak in this there is there is oak there it's it's mainly um seasoned oak and by okay. seasoned i mean you know four to eight year old barrels oh pretty okay mm -hmm. yeah so no but new really oak in the um and mm -hmm. yeah and um even even in the on the 2019 we go less oak again we really want those layers of fruit to do the to be the hero and yes. um i think you, you get those beautiful um red fruits and and that grenache berry 
um, that that entices you in. But then you get that that sort of thumping, plummy meatiness, and some of that meatiness is actually from the the Shiraz or Syrah blocks that we've chosen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we choose them for um, GSM in mind. Like that meatiness is something that I, I do like in the GSM. So there's a there's one particular slightly more meaty, a bit, a bit like a, as Mel- a, a mate Melissa Worrell would um, would mm-hmm. say, like a good link, good linkies Metwurst um, stick sort of. Do you know? Do you know about Metwurst? Metwurst? I'm not sure. I'm waiting for you to explain. It's the Barossa German sausage. Um, ah, it's very, okay, very yes, much yes, a yes, Barossa yes. tradition, mm-hmm. and it stinks. It's garlic. It's it's <laughs> it's fantastic. You don't want to be the kid that's got the Metwurst sandwich at school, but um, <laughs> it's it's got that Metwursty sausage um, meatiness in the middle there. The wines are vegan. The wines are they are vegan friendly, though I will say. But despite going really well with meat. Um, <laughs> We've got a perfect pairing now, that sausage with, and to be honest, actually, Grenache often does go well with um, charcuterie and and sausages. And this GSM blend certainly with those spices and with that meatiness, if you can find a type of sausage that has a whole load of garlic, black pepper, maybe some fennel in there, a whole load of other different bits of herbs and spices, I think would be absolutely ideal. I'm getting really hungry hungry now. Well, Um, I know, it's nearly your dinner time. The, um, yeah, that's that's what I love, and the Grenache, like you say, that juiciness just so it just soaks up that um, those sort of flavours, and and it has got that better acidity than um, than the other two varietals. So, yeah, and the, and then the Mavedra spice just follows through on the on the finish and just lingers. Um, but you've got that wonderful wave of Shiraz um, plumpness and speak like a, this wine's a bit like a big we call it a, a Barossa hug of a wine. <laughs> it's a generous generous Barossa hug. Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think that makes sense. So I've always said Grenache gives you that lovely red fruits and spice, and it gives you a little bit of volume. Syrah gives you some power, lovely acidity. And I suppose, as you just said, in Syrah, it's obviously a lot more powerful and voluptuous. And then that Mourvedre is your salt and pepper, isn't it? It gives you the the additions, the color that play it's in in the back of the band but adds all the little extra notes that you need to to accompany um the group yeah we definitely you, you hit the nail on the head there we call it like reaching for the spice rack with um mm. the mavedra and, and in the in the tempranillo blend the Gra- graciano is, is also reaching for the spice rack um the wonderful thing about both the gsm this wine and the and the grenache is they're 60 to 75 year old vines um mm. in quite affordable wines and that's i guess that's something that we um, we, we sort of take for granted in, in the Barossa Valley and in, in, in Australia. We've got the oldest, you know, some of the vines in our repertoire are 100 to 150-year-old vines. Um, we've got this this resource that is, because we're in this island nation um, and we haven't had phylloxera, for example, we've got the oldest um, Grenache vines in the world. Oh, well, and, and we're using and- them for rosé. It's crazy. It's amazing. Well, I want to tell everybody the price in the UK, first of all. The Not Your Grandma's Rosé is thirteen ninety five from The Great Wine Co. And if you do a multi-buy and... Why? Why not? Um, Twelve fifty five. <laughs> that is actually genuinely insane now that I think about it because... I said to you, didn't I, the the elegance you maybe get with Provence, great, but this was this voluptuous deliciousness. It really over-delivered. And my God, to get a decent Provence, you need to be spending £15 plus. This is £12.55, multi-buy, of course. That's, I think, that's amazing. Yeah, you, I think you guys are so spoilt for choice over there. We are. Like, I think mm-hmm. it is the best wine market in the world for the customer um, and and ironically it's the lowest margin wine market in the world for wineries like us but it, we consider it so important because um it's where wines um 
it's it's where the most discernment is and the, and the most educated customers are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and oh, well, we, thank you. <laughs> we, we, it's true. We want That's nothing true. more than to be on that world stage um, with the best wines in the world. You've got them all on your doorstep, and um, we love putting our little Aussie upstarts in the, in there amongst them. Amazing. Well, the resistance has now become an even better friend to me. The GSM that we're drinking, fifteen pound fifty from the Great Wine Co. So all of the Chafee Bros wines are on the Great Wine Co. For those of you listening in the UK, and multi buy thirteen pounds ninety five. £13.95. That is genuine. I think you probably would agree that that is amazing. It's I know like this way more, but I I do, with all the other wines you've tried, I will always sum up, because this is the last wine we're going to try. Your wines are explosive, they're aromatic, they're textural, and they're layered. Every single one, no matter what. And I'm never disappointed. Thank you, Yuni. That's really lovely. And that's, that's what we make wine for, um, is that sort of response. We, no. we love sharing a, a little post, Venice postcards with the world. <laughs> now tell me then, in terms of winemaking, what's the best part of your job? One of my favorite things every year is going and meeting out. I mean, we're not like um, some of the old world regions. We have mm-hmm. we have mul- multiple growers because of the way the Barossa was settled. So yeah. every year when I when I meet at my favorite um, growers, then there's you know eight 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 or more growers that. We we do a lot of work with every year. Mm-hmm. These are these are our friends. These are our um, mates from school. These are um, and some of them are getting on in their years. And um, and one of them passed in the last year. And and mm. they're special relationships. And yeah. because they don't make wine themselves, in some cases, they love seeing what we do with them and where the where their fruit goes around the world. So yeah. it's a really lovely um, collaborative. Um, community and um, that's that's one thing the other thing I love about it is seeing where the wines end up and you know if what when you take something from just an idea and then in a vineyard you might be standing in the vineyard thinking about Kerner one day and then within within 12 months it's on a you know a lovely restaurant wine list that you would um, dream of going there and um, and and our wines already beaten us there so mm. that's if we can't travel at the moment um maybe that's maybe that's the next, the next thing. best thing Absolutely. Yeah. Well, talk, okay, talking about traveling, let's travel between Barossa Valley and Eden Valley. Now, for anybody who sees Barossa, just Barossa on the label, the fruit could have come from either valley. But you're getting some wines, like obviously Riesling is doing really well in Eden Valley. Yes. Shiraz is doing really well in both. But can you talk to us about the differences? I know, yeah. of course, Eden Valley is, you know, higher elevations, um, but... You know, and it's a little bit more further spread. I also have personally been to Barossa Valley and Eden Valley uh, several years ago, and I mean, I, I the beauty of Eden Valley for me it was it was stunning. But can you talk to us a little bit about the difference of fruit that you get from both? Yeah, I think I think Eden Valley is the Barossa's best kept secret, and it okay. it probably is it is for that way for us for a number of reasons. And um, and it's exactly as you said, the Barossa is a tale of two valleys, but mm-hmm. most people only know the, the, the Barossa part of it and don't realize that when they see simply Barossa, that it can include Eden Valley fruit. So, mm-hmm. so much of our great Shiraz, um, all those brands that you know from the Barossa can have, um, even if it says Barossa Valley, it can have a percentage of Eden Valley fruit in there up okay. to 15%. Oh, 15. Okay. So, yeah. So... The thing about Eden Valley is it is over that Mount Lofty range and all of the South Australian wine regions, well, sorry, not all of them, um, Coonawarra is an exception, but from McLaren Vale through the Adelaide Hills to Barossa, the defining 
feature is they're all on the Mount Lofty Ranges, mm -hmm. which is this, the, the, the hills behind Adelaide. And um, that valley of the Barossa um, is lower. It's on um, siltier, siltier sort of sedimentary mm -hmm. soil. Yep. And then on the Eden Valley side, you climb up, as you said, higher altitude. You go over the range and it's about, it's only about 10 kilometers or 15 kilometers um, to drive around or over the over the hill. And you're in the Eden Valley. It's cooler. Um, on a on a post-vintage eve, you can drive from the Barossa and drop, you know, five to 10 degrees by the time you've got to the coolest part of oh, Eden wow. Valley. Okay. It, it drops, I get the ice warning driving into Springton on, into the Noack Vineyard, we get, we get our Riesling in May, in May, which is <laughs> before winter. Um, and that's, 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 that's really surprising for, for the Brossa Valley, which is known as a warmer region overall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we do get that best of both worlds. We've got this little side region that's a bit cooler and it suits Riesling because if you went to Germany and said to a Riesling, a Rhine, a Rhine grower or a Moselle grower, you know, where's your Shiraz? They'll think you're crazy. But in the Brussels, we've got, we've got on one, one side of the hill, we've got Shiraz making big, quite rich styles. And then on, on the other range, we've got these delicate, fine boned, crystalline, um, Rieslings that are so delicate and structured and, and cooler influence. It's just, it, it, it literally doesn't make sense. So I feel really privileged to be in a region where we just haven't grasped that until we've traveled we haven't grasped how special it is well interestingly enough i know that in the brossa there's the brossa grounds project where they're really trying yes. to look at the soils and of course there are so many different how's that getting on it do you believe there's going to be some more sub-regions within the brossa valley soon i think there is i think um th there are emerging sub-regions um there's certainly a local understanding of say for example Mar Marananga um, Torbreck makes wines from um, that particular part of the world um, mm -hmm. and um, Ebenezer for example in the northern Barossa I think with single vineyard wines there is an understanding of the you know 16 plus different um, distinctive sub-regions and we've got an incredible diversity of soil soil types in the Barossa but one of the um, common features with all of the great Shiraz vineyards is this ironstone um, that runs throughout so it, we're talking nuance which is what makes that Barossa grounds project so so interesting is that you have the same variety in the one region with so many little it's the same as the Rhone um, there's there's so much nuance available and once you get to know the mm -hmm. producers and where they are you get to really enjoy um there's there's producers in, in the south of the Barossa that make wines that you just wouldn't expect um to be from the same producer as someone from the north uh, from the same region yeah they're so diverse in their in their character mm -hmm. so i think it's exciting and um we're loving exploring those sites i mean for me i remember when i was pouring a lot more uh, Shiraz, should we say, from, from Barossa, I used to kind of feel that the Barossa Valley was definitely giving me more power, more chocolate, more concentration. And then I was getting more like blueberry fruit and more yeah. violets from the Eden Valley Shiraz. I, I don't know whether that was probably because I was just drinking Hill of Grace from Eden yeah, Valley I've... compared to um, some of the others like Torbrek or whatever from Barossa Valley. But I wonder, would you say that's true still? Of 100%, course. yeah. yeah. Oh, and and um, that's when we use it in our synonymous Barossa Shiraz, the Eden Valley component, we, we actually call it painting with all the colours available to us on the palette. I mean, if, mm. if we make a single vineyard wine from the Barossa Valley floor for me that's painting with that plummy purple 
um, color. And if I add the red fruits from the north, um, from Ebenezer or from um, the northern parts of the Barossa, but the blue fruits from Eden Valley, I, I, for me, my brain always flashes blue in color okay. when I taste it and smell, when I smell Eden Valley wines, I get that color of that blue purple flash from Eden Valley. Mm -hmm. And it's, I, I, I 100% agree. And okay, um, it, it's like a, um, it's, it's quite perfumed as well. So it is a, it, when we add that into the blend, the Eden Valley really adds that really high toned aromatic blue prettiness to a Shiraz. And that's what Shiraz can be really pretty, especially when you pull back and you use a bit of restraint with the winemaking. Mm -hmm. we, we're finding that again in the Brosser. You know, we're, well, some of us are big burly blokes, and but um, we're trying to find our <laughs> trying to find a bit of delicacy and our feminine side. I think. Oh, well, it's the point is it's great and it changes in different places. Now, um, Grenache typically is planted in the Barossa Valley. It's not so much in Eden Valley, is it? That's right. Yeah, there are some fantastic little pockets in Eden Valley. The, there's a, a stone garden vineyard. We don't take any fruit from there, but um, there's some great fruit from this one little vineyard on the more on the on the lower part of Eden Valley. But yeah, there's some beautiful old vines over there. But there's there's they're few and far between. There's so much more Grenache that survived on the Barossa Valley side. Mm. And again, the differences, presumably, would I be right? Because that I have not experienced enough single variety Grenache, say, from Eden Valley. Presumably, there'd be a bit more acidity, considering Grenache is a variety that doesn't have so much acidity. Do yes, you find this, yeah. that it produces some, some more elegance? It does. And having said that, there's the cooler sites there also allow people to make wines of great power. Um, because it's retaining that acidity, they they, they can push the the uh, ripeness further. So, Grenache is such a, a multifaceted wine. It, like you just have to look at the two wines we just tried. The the rosé, you know, you pick that at ten and a half Beaumet. Mm -hmm. um, that's Grenache and Mavedra. The same two varieties are in that GSM but with a Shiraz squeeze in the middle. You couldn't mm -hmm. make you couldn't find too many different wines than those two. Um, and then there's bigger Grenache. Um, so. Yeah, I think you can definitely make more elegant wines in Eden Valley, but the people that are making them are often pushing the, the power there because they can, because the ripening is, is a little bit slower and, and takes, yeah, so they can really take their time and make, make a much longer decision, a, a more relaxed decision on when to pick the uh, Grenache in Eden Valley. I suppose it's like with everything, with the more new world regions, we say, oh, Brossa Valley, boom, tick. And quite clearly, there's still many, many years to go to really pick apart everything, decipher all the different regions. So it's quite exciting. But I suppose the conclusion for people who want to just differentiate between Barossa Valley and Eden, Eden Valley is fresher, higher elevation, slightly more acidity, maybe more aromatics and the power tends to come more from Barossa Valley. Can, is that yeah, a I decent think summary? Yeah. I think Eden Valley elegance is is something that we talk about all the time. And, you know, you use the um, example of Henschke and that's part of the problem for Eden Valley has been that people haven't realized that um, fantastic um, heritage brands like Henschke are from Eden Valley. Henschke is so famous that they've probably become mm -hmm. more famous than the the fact that they're from Eden Valley and um, every Barossa producer makes a wine from Eden Valley, but they, they're more famous for their Barossa wine. So there's so many Barossa producers that have their Eden Valley Riesling, but we're, we're actually really enjoying heroing Eden Valley single site Shirazes. And yeah, our heroes definitely are Henschke and the like, because 
who wouldn't want to make a, a hill of grace in a Mount Edelston? So we're really trying to explore that with our Eden Valley Shirazes, which I don't think you've seen yet, but that's the mm. that'll be the next journey, next journey to go on, I think. I look forward to that because I have been in the Hill of Grace vineyard and I have taken a photo and touched and looked at the fattest, oldest, gnarliest vines I've ever seen. And your vines are, I think, am I right in saying some of your vines that you're using in your wines are up to 84 years old right now? Is that correct? Correct, yeah. Well, they're and, only um, going to get older. There's a new, there's, we've now got the Fechner um, old block fruit um, mm-hmm. that used to go to another winery, but that's 117 years old this year. And um, Fabulous. that's, that's you could just about throw a, a, a good sized um, lump of uh, limestone from the Fechner vineyard to the Hill of Grace vineyard. They're not that far apart. Um, okay. And so you, you, you can expect some of those same characteristics, but we're looking forward to making a, a flagship wine from that vineyard. Uh, and releasing it in the next year or two, but for for now, Amazing. the Elijah, the Elijah and the Evangeline, um, named after my kids, are they're going to be ah. heading your way to try next. Lovely. That is amazing. Well, I think that kind of sums things up. We've got so much to look forward to with the Chafer Bros wines. Thank you so much, Daniel, for just taking me through the three wines we've had and hopefully giving people an idea of just how sexy your wines are. I think that's Thank you, Yanina. Thank summary. you so much for um, <laughs> that. Is that's it. I, I'm not. I shouldn't say anything more. Thank you for your <laughs> passionate embrace of our, uh, our gifts from uh, Australia. Thank you, Daniel. Speak to you very, very soon. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye bye. Now, my question to you is: How excited are you guys to go and find yourself a bottle of Chafee Berry's wines? I must point out, I was very naughty in yesterday's episode and I did not tell you the price of the Kerner. So if anyone who's interested and in the UK, at the Great Wine Co, it's £16.95 or that mix 12, you get it for £15.25. Now, you know, I think these wines are electric. So I found a nice positive wine quote to finish off this episode. Now, this is by Lord Byron, who was a famous English poet. Sadly, I couldn't find any wine quotes from some Australians, so I feel quite upset about that. Somebody tell me if there's some Australian wine quotes, please. Um, But in the meantime, he said, Wine cheers the sad, revives the old, inspires the young, makes weariness forget his toil. All of this, in my opinion, you get from a glass of Chafee Bros. So thank you, everyone. Don't forget there's that competition. Just leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. All the details are in the show notes. Please share the podcast, like it and subscribe. All of this makes the podcast more discoverable. Now, sneak preview from tomorrow's episode. We're looking at wine investments. Everybody, get those wallets out. Be prepared. (laughs) So until tomorrow's episode, cheers to you.